Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm an expert in performance and mindset, supporting business owners to create exceptional results in life and business. And I achieve this through coaching, training, speaking, and my online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought and business leaders create and enjoy success, and to identify the common strategies and techniques, as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is simple. It's for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life, but in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to accomplish your goals. Now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of these brilliant episodes. Head over to jeffnicholson.co.uk to register for my Kick Mediocrity in the Nuts newsletter, as well as all you need to know on how to connect with me on social media or join the Facebook group. Now, on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So we've got a great guest lined up this week, Kia Roberts. Nokia is the founder of Triangle Investigations. Triangle Investigations performs third-party investigations for companies into allegations of misconduct, including sexual harassment, discrimination, and bullying. Prior to founding Triangle Investigations, Kia was the first ever director of investigations for the NFL, and prior to that worked as a senior assistant district attorney and homicide prosecutor in the Brooklyn District's Attorney's Office. Kia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the interview because, to be honest, it's the first time we've ever had someone who does investigations as a um, career. So before we dive into this, could you give us a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Awesome. I'd love to. So I am the founder of a company called Triangle Investigations. And Triangle is a group of lawyers and expert investigators conducting misconduct investigations within workplaces, schools, and other organizations. So when I say misconduct, think sexual harassment, discrimination, retaliation. And then we additionally do some sexual assault and abuse investigations on college campuses and within private schools. Um, prior to founding Triangle, I was the first ever director of investigations for the National Football League, where I did the investigations into NFL players and employees accused of violating the NFL's code of conduct. So that was everything from sexual harassment, workplace bullying, all the way to the really high profile player incidents involving allegations of domestic violence, sex abuse, animal abuse and child abuse. Um, prior to the NFL, I spent about a decade as a prosecutor. I'm a district attorney's office in Brooklyn, New York. I finished my time there as a homicide prosecutor doing murder cases. Um, I got my law degree at Vanderbilt. I got my undergraduate degree at Duke. And my husband and I have a seven-year-old and three-year-old. So that's kind of all about me and all about the business. Well, you can tell you're a professional because that was that was really <laughs> slick. That was very, very smooth. Um, okay, so I guess the first question I would have to ask is, what... What brought you into this? You know, obviously you were doing, you did law. Was the initial thought, right, I'm going to be a, um, a lawyer. And then you were going to, and then after that, you thought, oh, I don't know, investigations could be interesting. What sort of took that journey to sort of investigations at the final, uh, uh, as what you do now with Triangle? 
Yeah. So since the moment I graduated from law school, I've really done nothing but investigations in one form or another. Right. So that might have been a homicide investigation that then turned into a homicide trial um, and then just general misconduct investigations at the NFL. And in 2018, this is when the Me Too movement was really, really, really picking up steam. Right. And there were all these allegations, uh, people engaging in really bad behavior. Um, and I was actually on maternity leave at the time with our brand new baby. And I was up in the middle of the night with the baby. And the idea just came to me that based on the resume that I have, you know, I say that I've investigated everything from harassment to homicide. Maybe I was uniquely positioned to open up my own shop where misconduct is all that we do. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And it has really... Um, been a really, really exciting few years. It's been a very, 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 very busy few years. It's just that, you know, here in America over the last few years, we have seen a really major shift around what's considered to be appropriate and inappropriate behavior, not only regarding sexual harassment, but then, of course, last summer with the social justice protests, you know, really speaking to what, how are issues and allegations of misconduct related to race, ethnicity, and background being addressed. So we've really had the wind at our back since since our inception, um, just kind of a right place, right time kind of situation, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah, you, you mustn't really ever have dull days. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> or, or, or slow days. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And where does the name Triangle originate from? So what's interesting is when I was trying to come up with the name, my husband um, was speaking to me about it. He is much more creatively inclined than I am. Um, and I went to college at Duke University, which is in Durham, North Carolina. And that area and the cities around it are called the Triangle area of North Carolina. And I absolutely love Duke and I love the Triangle. Um, and then I also thought that it was so my husband suggested the name and then I loved it because I think it's a shout out to my college. And then additionally, it kind of speaks to the nature of an investigation, right? You have one person making an allegation. You have another person, you know, essentially saying, well, you know, that's not true. The accused person within the investigation. And then we come in as an independent third party, kind of forming that third arm of that triangle. And then we come together and, and bring it all together and see where things land at the conclusion of investigation. Oh, fantastic. Fant ironically, there's a Durham just down the road from here where I am. Is there? Yeah. Uh, the original, I have to say. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably so. <laughs> um, so, with, so with regards to um, you going into the, the NFL and doing all the investigation stuff that you do, is that now, um, is it specifically in um, the sports arena or is it large corporates is it, or is it like a sort of mixture of both? It's everything. So we do investigations for everyone. So over the last year, or I would say over the last year, just for example, we've done an investigation at a very, very large church um, where a pastor was accused of misconduct. We've done investigations over the last year within private schools, college campuses, um, large Fortune 500 companies, pre-IPO startups, nonprofits, pretty much if you can name it. You know, I always say, people say, what's your client base? And I say, well, our client base is anywhere where anyone could misbehave, which is everywhere, right? So, you know, it's not really limited in scope. If there's a few people together and there can be an allegation of misconduct made, you know, there within our client group. And, and where, and, and, and with that, is there specific 
um, standards that a company, obviously we'll be talking mainly about the US here, but is there specific standards that companies can adhere to or look into to make sure that all of that, um, making sure that their organization is actually following the guidelines that are stated? Right. Absolutely. So a lot of organizations have their own internal investigations function in either human resources or employee relations. But there's many, many, many small businesses or organizations that just don't have the bandwidth to properly conduct an investigation. So, you know, if you're a large Fortune 500 company, chances are you kind of have an idea of what an investigation needs to look like and what you need to do to stay compliant with employment laws regarding discrimination and misconduct. But if you're a smaller organization, you don't necessarily have the capacity to do that. And one of the things we tell our clients is, you know, people say, oh, well, we're just a small company. And I say, well, you know, from a risk management perspective, that's even more dangerous, right? Because you can't afford a multi-million dollar lawsuit being brought by a group of women saying that they were being, you know, systemically discriminated against or harassed. So, you know, I really tell our smaller clients and our nonprofit clients that, you know, they don't have the deep pockets, right, to pay somebody, you know, to pay a lawyer to defend them if they were to get sued or, God forbid, to have to pay a really large settlement. But so the impetus is really upon them to have the processes and structures in place to, first of all, try to prevent misconduct from happening in the first place. But then second of all, when it does happen to appropriately and swiftly respond to it. Wow. Okay. So if, if so, because so, obviously with, uh, as I, I can imagine that, like you say, the small companies don't have the budgets to go through that. So can you um, give us some suggestions? Because listening to the show, we've got people who um, run, you know, very, very large companies all the way down to people that run, you know, ultimately are themselves. But are there specific things that you can suggest that they can start looking into to help make sure that they protect themselves from this type of thing? And and would it be fair in saying that although we may be talking about U.S. law, it actually the standards would probably go across most of the world? Right. I would absolutely say that's fair. Right. The standards around what isn't isn't acceptable workplace behavior can vary a little bit geographically and culturally, but I would say it's pretty similar. So what I always tell organizations is the first place to start is that you really need to have a written conduct policy. Right. So this, these are the rules of the road. This is what is and isn't acceptable behavior within our organization. So that's that's kind of the first safeguard to have in place. And then the second safeguard, and this is huge, is to really have the reporting mechanisms and processes in place for people to report misconduct when it does occur, because one of the worst things that can happen is when bad behavior is allowed to go on unchecked and fester for years and the employer doesn't learn about it until the person quits or goes and gets a lawyer to sue the company or goes on social media and blows it up, right? So there really have to be those processes in place for employers to really keep their finger on the pulse of what's going on. And then employers really need to be thoughtful and deliberate about figuring out how they will respond to allegations of misconduct when they learn about them. And not every allegation of misconduct requires a really huge deep dive investigation, but I generally tell clients that it at least deserves an inquiry, right? So it doesn't necessarily need, you know, you have to interview 20 people and generate a 30 page report, but you at least need to figure out exactly what the substance is of the allegation and really kind of think through critically as to how you need to address it. It really can't be ignored. No, and I suppose is making sure that they have the, the right 
questions and processes to go through because if it's someone who's just never done this before they want people want to make sure that you're asking the right questions and not opening yourselves up to more issues down the line Absolutely. And one of the things we offer our clients, this is more of our small, medium-sized clients, is that we offer a service that we built what we call an accountability structure. So that involves us writing up your policies, you know, regarding workplace dating or social media usage or discrimination and other bad behavior within the workplace so that you have it there and it exists on paper. And then, you know, usually the next step is, you know, we work with you on disseminating that to your employees, making sure that your employees confirm receipt so that you have that on paper somewhere saying we We created this policy. The employees said that they received it. They were aware of it. And then really helping you create those reporting mechanisms and processes so that you know what's going on and that you're not caught unawares, you know, because don't definitely won't don't want to be in a situation where something exposed publicly. Um, I know towards the beginning of the interview, I was saying, you know, just there's been this confluence of factors that have really resulted in the wind being at our back in terms of just growth and business. And one thing that I think has really been huge, and I I stole this line from an anchor on CNN because I liked it so much, um, but this anchor talked about social media really being this moment where we're seeing the, the democratization of the microphone. Right. So what that means is when something happens that you don't like within your workplace or at your school or within your church, you don't have to go get a PR team. Right. You don't have to, um, you know, go hire a lawyer. You can take to social media and air your grievances there. And that has really put a lot of employers and just management and different organizations in a place of scrambling and saying we really have to keep our finger on the pulse of so many things that are going on because we don't want to learn about this because it blows up on social media. You know, we don't want to learn about this because the New York Times has done a full investigative report into our poor workplace culture. So I think that social media has really resulted in a huge shift in how employers and management have to have to really be aware and constantly cognizant of what's going on within their organizations. Do you think, though, there's a double edged sword to that where sometimes people can um my terminology in the UK would be shitster to cause problems without necessarily absolutely having a legitimate reason and then of course then then of course we have the problems of the media takes that pace or it, you know it doesn't even have to be media it just has to be possible clients who have seen that post and it goes down there and i suppose is with them having that documentation that you were talking about before maybe that is a precursor to let so these type or those types of people because they are those around um to sort of be that have them aware that actually you have policies and procedures in place to protect them right for doing that sort of thing absolutely and, and that's an excellent point because yes organization members and employees are absolutely in a situation now where people can make things up and I think that does often, not often, but I, of course it happens. Somebody says, you know, some disgruntled employee says, oh, this is my experience there. And it isn't, you know, is it necessarily true? But we're at a moment right now that I feel that at least in America, right, people are very inclined to not side with management and leadership and to really, you know, take at, at its word the allegations that these employees are making. And that is a really, really, really difficult situation for employers to navigate. It's really difficult.
I think we're also, I think we're, you know, right across the board, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about business or not. The 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 people who are standing up for their rights, there's like every time, there's those, there's the there's the super aggressive types and there's the and there's those passive people that are passively aggressive, I guess, in some ways. And I suppose it's just making sure that everyone's protected. Right. For for what is what is re- what is real and what is legit. Absolutely. So it's a mix of making sure everyone is protected. And then it's also an application of making sure that everyone is trained up. Right. So that means that you're having your yearly anti-sexual harassment training. That means that you're periodically doing discrimination trainings. That means that you're periodically doing what we call climate checks. Right. Like, how's everybody doing? Is there anything that we need to be aware of? Right. And when management and employers really engage in that deliberate work from a risk management perspective, it puts them in a very strong position if something does blow up, right? Because you're able to say, oh, we do this training this many times a year. And, you know, we check in with our employees quarterly and we have an open door policy. You know, we can't possibly be held liable from a legal perspective for these things because we've put all these different safeguards in place to know about what's going on, right? So there's some clients that we just have a long-term contract with that we just completely sit there as like a third-party receiver, right? So, you know, every employee is told this is Triangle Investigations. They're a completely independent group of lawyers and investigators. You know, if you have something that you don't feel comfortable going to human resources or employee relations with, this is the resource for you. Please use them, right? And that's done for two perspectives because, you know, employers want to be thoughtful and really understand the employee experience and be sensitive to any issues that might be going on and address them. But then additionally, you know, a few years down the road, Somebody gets hit with the lawsuit saying, and I was being sexually harassed for years and I was, you know, being passed over for promotions due to my sexuality. You know, employers are able to say, you know, we had all these mechanisms in place to address these things. And this person chose not to avail themselves of it. Yeah, that's a fine. Yeah, a really good point is the is that a quality getting quality training to cover everyone's um, well, backside really to make sure that all of the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Absolutely, it's 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 crucial. Yeah, and not a, do you think not enough people do that? You know, I, don't, I, I mean, obviously, you're going to be speaking from the US point of view. Do you think there's more that obviously there's more companies that actually need to invest that time, energy, and effort to make sure that all of that because there's probably not as much that we would like to admit, right? That are actually doing what they need to do. I just think it's worth it from a risk management perspective. And I do feel like enough people don't do it. So in New York state, for example, which is where our offices are based, um, you know, New York state as of a few years ago has a law that employers have to have sexual harassment training, right? So this, this law might be about three years old. And this was a law that was made directly in response to the Me Too movement. So, you know, that you have to have this training and the New York state has um, a website where you can go online and watch it for free. Right. And you have to do it and you have to have certification and proof that your employees have engaged in the training. So I think that that's huge. Um, but I know that New York is kind of an outlier with having that requirement. Right. OK. And is each I mean, obviously, it, it'll eventually go right the way through. But does each state in the U.S. have. Um, is it slightly different or is it ultimately, as we said, the standard, is it right the way across? Because in some cases, it's just common sense and decency, surely. 
Right. So every state is different. Um, I would say New York state is probably the most progressive with California right behind it in terms of the laws around sexual harassment and misconduct generally and what's required of employers within that space. Wow. It's a fa- it's fascinating subject. And, you know, I'm, I'm com- completely ignorant in the sense of obviously the, the experience, knowledge and, and wisdom that you've collected over the years. But um, we're going to jump over to the second part of the show where I will ask the guest a set of questions I ask every single guest who appears on the show. So are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, question number one. On average, how much time do you roughly dedicate to self-development? How much time do I dedicate to what? Self-development. Self-development. Oh, what a great question. I would say that I dedicate 15 minutes a day to self-development. And I generally do that by meditation, um, you know, slow music, you know, kind of aligning my thoughts. Um, and well, no, actually, I'm gonna take that back. I'll say probably about an hour a day because I really, really, really love my audio books and my podcasts. And there's a lot of them that I listen to um, kind of from a self-betterment perspective about, you know, things that I can do to improve business, things I can do to grow business, you know, mommy podcasts all across the spectrum. That's a, that's the thing is, is like when, when I was, when I had my kids there's no such thing as podcasts to get like parent parent things you used to have to read books and it used to take ages at least <laughs> at least now you can do it while you're walking or even while you're right. trying to, trying to right. get the babies to sleep and time is exactly what you don't have when you have small children as this i'm sure you true. know so this is yeah, very true exactly. <laughs> question number two is what book and it can be any book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why i would probably say i really like the four-hour work week I think that's just like a great book, like with how it breaks down, how you're spending your time and managing your time. One of the things that I've struggled with the most is building the business while you're doing the business, right? People say you're like building the plane as you're flying it, right? So, you know, my experience in investigations is really deep. My experiences in, you know, building a thriving startup is non-existent. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I have like several years into it now. Um, but that isn't particularly challenging. And I think that the four hour work week book really speaks to how to really manage your time so that you're being effective and not burning yourself out. No, that's cool. Brilliant. And um, number th- three is what app makes the biggest impact to your business or personal life? So there's an app on my phone that is called Alarmed. And it literally is just a very simple app where you can put reminders in for different things. And there's an option on it, which is called nag me, the nag me option, which means it keeps going off every minute and driving you nuts until you silence it. And I, it, it has just saved my life. You know, two little kids, thriving business, you know, a lot of different things going on. Um, and I, if I had that, if I did not have that, I, I the amount of things that would have fallen through the cracks is like endless. So it's a it's a really, really, really good app. I like that. I like that. Okay, number four. What's your biggest business mistake that turned into a valuable lesson and what did it teach you? Oh, that's a great, great question. What is my biggest business mistake that turned into something valuable? Um, I would say that I wasn't adequately prepared for the rapid growth that our company underwent. 
Right. So I was like, well, eventually, you know, I'll hire, you know, you know, growth and the need needs will get to the point that I'll need to hire some people. But, you know, that won't be for a while. And it ended up happening much sooner than I expected. So then I ended up having to hire a team of people in the middle of the pandemic, which (laughs) was very challenging. Um, It's a break for people, but like, you know, very, very challenging. So what I learned from that is, you know, (laughs) the fly by the seat of your pants model just doesn't work. And all you're doing when you do that is stressing yourself out. Right. So you really need to kind of be looking at, okay, so Q3, this is what I need to prepare for Q4. This is what I need to prepare for. Um, But I feel like since I've launched, I've been so deep in the investigation space that that kind of business planning component has been difficult, but it's something that I have to do. And I absolutely learned that the hard way when things blew up really quickly and I had to engage in hiring um, at a really rapid pace. Yeah, it is. I think it's that's one of the biggest challenges with people in business. And it doesn't matter what sector the people who I've spoken to are in. It is that balancing between working in and on. Because yes. it's it can be and because at the in the beginning as you've demonstrated there is you're wearing so many hats right that it's that it's that balancing act and eventually when you don't want it one will fall or if you're at least proactive you can try and fix that before those problems arise absolutely um, number five is what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them. So I would say that my biggest challenge in harmonizing work and life is knowing when to cut off my phone and laptop, right? So like the work that we do is super, super sensitive. It's very stressful to organizations that are in the midst of it, right? And it's really time sensitive. And there's a lot of these investigations that we're doing. And we are literally thinking, you know, both ourselves and the employer, that something could explode publicly at any given second, right? So we want to be sensitive to that and to the stresses of the clients that are bringing us into the investigations. And we always want to be responsive and easy to access and communicate with. Um, And it can just be hard for me to kind of draw that line and say, okay, you know, it's really now time for, you know, a moment with my my husband and kids. Um, So that's been difficult because the work that we do is really time sensitive. Yeah. And have you... Have you always found that a challenge even before you started your business or did you find that multiplied when you started your own business? Um, I think I found it multiplied when 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 I started the business, right? The, the work that we do, one of the worst things that I think a client could ever say about us is that we were unresponsive, right? And that they couldn't get in touch with us. I mean, you got to realize when people call us, it's usually that something has already happened. Everyone's freaking out, right? People are pulling out their hair and this is bad. This is bad. We have to look into this. So, you know, I, I would really, I, I think, I think it's become more intense with my own business. Um, even though, you know, being a homicide prosecutor, that was, that was pretty time sensitive as well. You know, the detectives would go out and arrest someone who committed a murder two years before, you would have to go out and interview the person. Um, but we have a, you know, our organization, we pride ourselves on being very high touch, right? We're not a large faceless firm of 400 employees where you never know who you're going to get on the phone. It's very important to us that we remain really locked in and communicative with our clients. So that's something that I, I, has been a particular challenge as the business has grown. Okay. Okay. Um, number six, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Oh, that's a good one. I learned this quote, I would say about six months ago, and I absolutely love it. 
Um, and the quote slash advice is the day that you plant the seed is not the day that you harvest the fruit. And Ooh, yeah, like so it's just, you know, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And then one day you will harvest the fruit. And I think with being a startup founder, you know, those first few months, you know, maybe even those first few years at times can be frustrating, right? You know, you're doing this, you're doing that. You're trying out all these different methods for business development and growth. Some things are working, some aren't. And then some things, you know, really explode in a way you say, well, that really seemed to take off. And I would just encourage people to stay the course because if you do, you know, the harvest eventually will come. Yeah. Patience is an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it pays off. Because you can sometimes, I mean, who, who would have thought a pandemic would hit? Right. You know, if, if, you, if you, maybe if you just held off that little bit more, there may be more in the, the, in the coffers for surviving. When uh, So I think that and have a rainy day account. Absolutely. And what's so interesting about, you know, that pandemic comment that you just made when the pandemic hit, um, you know, we're on lockdown in New York and I'm thinking, OK, you know, we have to do homeschool. Nobody's around each other. Right. So I'll be able to fully devote myself to homeschool. Business will slow down. And yet that did not happen. Like business never slowed down. Right. Like it just it didn't. It didn't. Um, and there's multiple investigations that we've done now into allegations that have happened while people have been working remotely completely. Like people that have never been in a room together, you know, which is just like fascinating, right? So, you know, it's, it's just, you kind of have to roll with the punches and, and just kind of not count yourself out because you really don't know what direction business is going to go in. Yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've had a, a mixed bag of people come on talking about the pandemic. And I, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people in New York and they decided to move during the pandemic from New York because I don't know why. I'm, I think the media over here was re- was kind of like reporting it like a ghost city kind of like thing. No one was really moving about and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I've heard an awful lot of people saying their business has never done so well. Yes. And then and then others. So there's, but like many things, there's always going to be different sides of the same spectrum, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and us continuing to grow and be so busy in the midst of the pandemic was really, really surprising to me. I mean, really surprising. Um, but I'm super grateful that it did. And how interesting when you've talked about sort of the investigations all being online, you're, when you are doing um, like prior to, let's say, pandemic, was most of those interviews face to face? Sorry, how have you found reading people using Zoom, Google Hangouts or whatever? Have you found it hasn't made much of a difference or... Because obviously I'm a coach, so I do that. You know, I'm I'm trying to read people and have uh, those type of sessions as well. And I found it fascinating during lockdown. But I'm intrigued to know what how you found it. Um, I hate it. Yeah, no, I I don't like it. And I'm like, you know, it's not investigative best practices, you know, to interview witnesses via video. But like, it is what it is, right? Like, this is the moment and this is what we have to do. So, you know, I try to use the markers that you use in any investigation, you know, somebody's demeanor and, you know, what's their tone of voice? What's their eye contact? Do they look like they're being evasive? Do they look like they're kind of overthinking their answers? But, you know, that definitely has its set of challenges when you're interviewing people via video. Yeah, because sometimes it's because they're on maybe on camera 
they may be different when you're speaking to them face to face. Absolutely. And people don't like being on camera generally. Like we, no, we know that no. after this last year and a half, right? Like we all have Zoom fatigue. We're all over it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, We've all yeah, had enough. Um, yeah, so, yeah. you know, you don't want to necessarily say, well, this person was, you know, kind of shifting around or looked disgruntled and I don't believe them. You know, they might look the way that they look because it's been a year and a half and we're all tired of being on camera. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to gauge. Yeah. They're like cage rats. They haven't left their apartment in a year and a half. <laughs> right. <laughs> and question number seven is what is your definition of success? Um, success to me is being in a position that you have so much that you're able to help others. Right. So I've always been a big believer that like any overflow that you have is meant to be like in service of others. So to me, success is defined by like really excelling in your area of work, not letting it overwhelm your life, you know, so much so that you you have strained relationships or not as much time as you like with your family, but then really being in a position to pay it forward, because I think that's what's required of us when we become successful. No, I think that's lovely. I think that's lovely. Um, number eight, you've kind of like got into this a little bit, but I'm, I'm wondering if there's any more. Do you have any daily routines or rituals that have, make a huge positive impact to your day? Absolutely. So I start my day with, you know, a little bit of silent time, a little bit of prayer and really like centering and focusing myself for the day before the house like explodes when our kids wake up. And I found that to be like a really, really, really good and positive process because it kind of like sets the tone for the day. This is what I'm doing today. This is what my schedule is going to look like. And that kind of sense of intention carries me through the day. So I found that to be hugely, hugely helpful. Um, And then another um, tradition that we have in our family when we pick our kids up from school, we say, tell us one good thing that happened today and tell us one bad thing that happened today. And that's kind of like the bookend to the end of the day. And that's usually kind of a, a pretty funny conversations um, with the seven-year-old and a three-year-old. <laughs> okay, so we've reached the end of the show and the floor is yours for us to, for you to share how we can find out more about you and anything that you would like to share uh, for the audience. And we'll make sure that everything goes in the show notes as well. Awesome. So you can find out more about us at www.triangleinvestigations.com. Please reach out to us just even if you like a quick consultation to really think through new, innovative and customized solutions for creating a space where misconduct doesn't occur or that when it does, you're responding to it thoroughly, swiftly and really in compliance with your local laws. And we'd love to talk to you. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Kia. And thank you for taking the time and joining me uh, today. I wish you the greatest success. Thank you so much. Very nice to meet you. I appreciate your time. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. 
You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.